Hi, everybody. Cheryl Atkinson here with another edition of the Cheryl Atkinson podcast on justthenews.com. I hope you'll check out all the Just the News podcasts. You can go to justthenews.com and see the list of original off-narrative podcasts on the homepage. Today, a fascinating and eye-opening discussion on a really important emerging issue with an expert advocate in the area of choice on vaccine mandates and vaccine passports in the era of COVID-19. Today, we're going to hear from a rational and informed authority on the issue of vaccine mandates, passports, and choice, a very hot topic in particular with COVID-19. For the sake of this discussion, to be clear, nobody is giving medical advice here. You should consult with your own experts, your physician, do your own reading to make your decisions. Nobody in this discussion is anti-vaccine. That's a propaganda term and an accusation thrown around too lightly and too often when people are having logical and reasonable discussions about medical safety. Anyway, we'll be hearing from Judith Jolly, a registered nurse and a great informational resource. She's with the National Vaccine Information Center and co-founder of Vaccine Choice Wisconsin, where we start our discussion. We've been working on legislation here in Wisconsin, specifically in regards to vaccine discrimination. Um, There's been a talk about vaccine passports, um, both in the country, um, in our state, and we went ahead uh, to try to introduce good legislation uh, to have protections in place. Where does Wisconsin stand in terms of, if you know, the rest of the country and what's happening state by state or at the federal level with vaccines, vaccine passports, vaccine mandates, and so on. Is, is Wisconsin pretty typical? Um, Wisconsin is one of the states that um, really has not come out um, with any, um, any sort of statements other than the government governor saying that it would not happen um, in Wisconsin for vaccine passports. However, we have not come out with legislation that goes ahead and outright bans them. And so we've left it up to private businesses. And this appears to be the case in a lot of states where we're letting uh, individual employers, employees, businesses decide um, how they're going to proceed uh, in the current situation, whether or not they're going to require proof of vaccination or not. Um, Do you see a problem with that? Or do you think that's the right thing to do is to let a private business decide? I absolutely see a problem with that. Uh, We have already seen signs pop up here in Wisconsin in order to go into most grocery stores. There's signs that state vaccinated people must still wear masks to go in. There is no one enforcing it in some areas. However, um, for example, we have a children's museum here in Wisconsin that has their policy that you need to show proof of vaccination or you must wear a mask. And if you choose not to, you will be asked to leave. Um, Our own state capitol, when I was there for hearings yesterday, we have signs on the bathroom door stating, unvaccinated people must must wear masks to enter this room. Um, So we're already seeing these signs go up, whether or not enforcements um, come into place, some businesses are. I've spoken with people who have already told me that their employer has stated that they will not 
at this point mandate the shot, but if you show proof of vaccination, then you can take your mask off at work. And that's problematic because you're going to see people that are being required to mask. And it, it's obvious at, at, in most cases who's not vaccinated and, and who is. Before we get into more about that, can you give me a little bit what you're comfortable about telling about your background, what got you interested in this issue, and maybe start by saying, are you anti-vaccine or is there something else you're pro-vaccine choice, but not anti-vaccine or what? Absolutely. Um, I am a registered nurse. I've been a registered nurse for 26 years. I became involved um, with um, vaccine uh, safety informed consent after my son was injured as a toddler. Um, I have been working with the National Vaccine Information Center for six and a half years. We are not anti-vaccine. We are pro-choice. We are against mandates. We feel strongly that individuals need to decide for themselves what is best based on their own personal risk factors. Vaccines are pharmaceutical products. They come with risks. We are well aware they come with risks. And because there is a risk, there absolutely needs to be that choice. We are not anti-vaccine. We are often labeled that, um, but that is absolutely not where we stand at all. We believe people have the right to receive these products. And we have the, we believe that people have the right to refuse these products. Well, I'll weigh in with that because I too, by propagandists have been called anti-vaccine, even though of course I'm not, I'm fully vaccinated. My child's fully vaccinated. Um, I simply report on vaccine safety issues, but there is a strong propaganda movement in this country, quite successful to label scientists and ordinary mm -hmm. people and journalists who report on vaccine safety or medical safety this is an effort that started some time ago to label them anti-vaccine. It's, it's worked quite well, but thanks for uh, clarifying that. When you said your child was, your son was injured by vaccination, you mean? Yes, absolutely. Um, I had, uh, I, I had, as a pediatric nurse, I had worked with other families who had told me of their vaccine injury stories on their, with their children and actually cared for children who had been severely harmed by vaccines. Um, but I figured that that was one in a million. It would never happen to my son. And it did happen to my son. And that is only, and only then did I start my research. And did I realize that their vaccine injuries do happen and they can be severe. Um, so yes, that's how I started um, in in getting involved and educating myself. Well, from, from my standpoint, um, I knew nothing about vaccination until I was assigned to cover some vaccine issues uh, at CBS News. And the first story was the restart of the smallpox vaccine program that the government mm -hmm. tried to do after 9-11, when we thought there might be a bioterror attack and that smallpox was a potential risk. Even though that vaccine is considered somewhat problematic in terms of adverse event profile, the thought was that the risk was maybe greater of a bio attack that we should consider restarting this somewhat problematic mm -hmm. at times vaccine. So I covered that, boy, you know, my eyes open. I just knew nothing about this, the industry and the business and the medical aspects of it. But um, people who've been around long enough may know that they stopped that program pretty yes. quickly because of safety problems that surfaced in the first responders that initially got the vaccine um, I broke the story about David Bloom, the NBC mm -hmm. reporter who was embedded as a war correspondent, 
who died of a blood clot after he'd received anthrax and smallpox vaccine and was not properly reported initially as a potential adverse event until I did the story. And right. then that sort of bled into um, military vaccine problems I learned about that uh, mm -hmm. most soldiers are probably vaccinated quite safely, but they get a battery of vaccines and boot camp that occasionally kills some of them. And that was an admission that was made in a story that I covered with one soldier who died. And mm -hmm. some others are debilitated. And I remember thinking to myself, just as a thinking person, something mm -hmm. that had never occurred to me before, that if occasionally a 200 pound healthy soldier can drop dead from vaccination, what might it do to a baby? And when I asked that question and I got the stiff arm from some of my sources who'd been helping me in this, and they said, oh, I'm not touching that third rail. I didn't even know it was a third rail. We're talking in the early 2000s and wondered mm -hmm. why I couldn't ask a logical question. And that kind of led me down the rabbit hole of where, <laughs> where we are today. Um, mm -hmm. What's the, what if people were to say when it comes to the vaccine passports and requiring um, proof and so on, well, this is for everybody's safety. I mean, that, that is the balance. People who advocate these sorts of things say this is necessary to keep the population safe and they have a right to be safe. So what is it? you know, as, as an expert and a nurse from your studies in terms of the science behind possible mandates? So this is uh, problematic, um, these statements, because if you go to the FDA's website under the individual vaccines, the Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, under their frequently asked questions, they there's actually a statement in there whether or not the COVID vaccines um, will stop transmission of the virus. And they do not have evidence that the specific to the COVID vaccines that they are able to st stop transmission, which means perhaps they stop you from getting symptoms for a period of time, but you could still be contagious and spread this on to others. Um, so if vaccinated people can still get infected, not show symptoms and go out in public, they are still as much as a risk as somebody who has not had the vaccine and not been previously exposed to SARS-CoV-2. The other um, question is, if your vaccine works and you're protected, then why do you fear me? What is the point of getting the vaccine to protect yourself if you're still worried that someone around you might give you that illness? It does not make any logical sense. It's not just um, COVID vaccines. We have evidence that the current pertussis vaccines that are being administered um, may prevent symptoms of pertussis, but you can still um, colonize it in the back of your throat and asymptomatically spread this, which again, symptoms tell you that you're not feeling well and that you need to stay home. But if you're carrying these viruses, walking around with no symptoms and shedding um, and transmitting, you are a danger to other people. Well, the interesting thing to me about the notion of passports is it would seem to show who has been theoretically, who has been compliant, but hmm. there's no evidence that it shows who is actually immune because Correct. even among the vaccines, let's say you choose to get them and let's say it, it works for some people for a period of time. We think that's the case. We don't know how long, but let's say it works. We also know by the admission of the vaccine industry that 
It doesn't work for some. So all you've got is a piece of paper that said, I went through the process, but Mm -hmm. one of the vaccines I think has something like a 30% rate that it doesn't work for. So out of every hundred people, you've got 30 people walking around with that passport who are not protected. So the, the other question is, and I interviewed great virologist at Fort Detrick, the US Army Institute mm-hmm. of Infectious Diseases, who's been involved in vaccine research. I, I generally have trusted his judgment, what he said from the start. I think he's, he's been spot on. And mm-hmm. um, you know, he said, we don't know how long these vaccines last, that it could be six months, the RNA vaccines in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I believe the words he told me are, they don't work very well. They don't last very long. That's why we've not had RNA vaccines before. Um, Mm -hmm. So you've got a piece of paper saying you got it, but there's no proof that you're still immune, even if you were for a period of time. So that's my problem with the passports is it's, it's really a piece of paper that doesn't confirm anything scientifically about transmissibility or how infectious Mm -hmm. a person may be. Absolutely. We, we have older adults um, who are at high risk um, for developing COVID-19 disease um, based on their immune system. Um, the older that you get, the, the less um, able your immune system uh, is able to function. And we know this as a fact. How long are their vaccine-acquired immunity going to last? It could be entirely possible that if you receive two doses of vaccine back in December, January, that currently you have no vaccine acquired immunity. Um, because again, we do not know how long this lasts. All right, let me play devil's advocate. Um, vaccines have saved millions of lives. They've been credited with really many diseases. Now I know there's an argument that this isn't the case and I haven't dived into it, but in general, they've been credited with um, getting rid of many horrible things such as polio. And if we make people frightened of them or skeptical of them and people stop getting vaccinated, we could see a return of dangerous diseases that have been eradicated in this country. And that will impact just everything about our way of life. Um, do you, are you concerned about that? Um, my, my concern is that the, um, the media and um, and also public health officials have given far too much credit to vaccination as um, uh, uh, for eradicating diseases. I think in society, we have seen a lot more progress with sanitation um, than we have with vaccines. Vaccines in often cases have come in at the tail end of when illnesses had already been on the decline and then they come in and they're given all the credit. Um, We also have not seen where we have any real studies or we have a few studies out there um, that show the health implication of vaccination, um, unvaccinated versus vaccinated. And even if you, um, for example, do not get a particular illness because of your, you're vaccinated against it. Does that mean that you're healthier? Um, does it put you at risk for other illnesses? We've had papers come out of um, Africa that has shown that receiving the DTP vaccine 
has actually um, put you at a tenfold increased risk of mortality from other causes. Um, so I think there's still a lot of research that needs to go out to see whether or not vaccines have truly had that impact on our society as much as public health um, uh, and those in public health have actually made those statements, um, but the, are are they really based in fact based on you know vaccinated versus unvaccinated uh, studies? Well, and I would point out you as a nurse, you did get your son vaccinated. That's how you say he was injured. So it's not as though you went into the equation thinking you know something was wrong with vaccines. You generally believed in them and absolutely and them at the time. Mm -hmm. You know. Um, one thing I think is interesting with, with the whole push about vaccines and the inability to question them is I think the end result, which we should all agree on is to the extent we have vaccination, they should just, it should be as safe for as many people as possible and as effective. And Correct. the idea that they cannot be studied, it's an untouchable for some scientists mm -hmm. researchers, they will tell you if they happen to find the wrong findings about a vaccine and a safety issue, meaning if they raise, raise a question based on the science, um, they may not get federal grants, they could be drummed out of their institutions, it's been so politicized. And as a Absolutely. result, we've probably, according to the experts I've spoken to, missed opportunities to improve vaccines and make them safer for all. Dr. Bernadine Healy, the former head of the National Institutes of Health, became a big believer. She told me there was a cover-up at the Institute of Medicine of which she was a member when it came to the vaccine autism link and so on and other safety issues. And her view was, if we don't acknowledge the, the things that can happen with vaccination, how can we make them better and safer? And why would we pass up the opportunity to protect as many people as we can in the best way we can, which we try to do with all medicine. So I think that's the danger of not being able to discuss vaccine mm -hmm. safety. Now, on the other side, I was told by vaccine advocates and infectious disease experts, they fear that if people start being allowed to question vaccine safety, even for the, the good of making them better and safer and getting more people confident in them, they're afraid the backlash will be fewer people will get them because there will be some sort of acknowledgement that perhaps there can be some issues. So mm -hmm. there's that push me, pull you within the right. industry. And then one more, you know, conflict, it's infectious disease experts largely pushing this. And I remember asking one years ago when the autism link was being debated. And I said, if you knew, if it turned out that autism is caused by mm -hmm. vaccination, which even CDC's own expert acknowledges now mm -hmm. may barely be the case. If that's true, would you still favor the same vaccine policies? And he said, even if it was responsible for vaccination for all the cases of autism, which he doesn't think is the case, but even if it were, he would still favor it because he's an infectious disease expert. Right. His whole goal in life is to stop infectious diseases. And they don't see, you know, autism, which is, as you know, a very, very serious disorder mm -hmm. for some lifelong. They don't see that as the same risk, certainly as the same risk to the general population. So I think there's that tension at play too, in these discussions. Absolutely. If that's not your specialty and you are so focused on one area of medicine, which is um, infectious disease, you tend to forget the other, um, the other areas, for example, autism, which 
has risen exponentially in the last few decades. So if you are, if that is not your area of concern, you don't concern yourself. So you're absolutely are correct with your statements. Back with more in a moment, including some surprising stats on the rate of vaccination for COVID-19 among the U.S. military. Well, I found some interesting stats I thought I would ask you about just last night, in fact. Um, So I don't know. It's weird because some workplaces are trying to mandate the COVID-19 vaccine. Um, Some, like you say, businesses are, even though I wonder how that's defensible and valid when it's an ex- basically an emergency use experimental vaccine for which it's impossible to know the you know, mm-hmm. adverse events for everybody and the long-term impact. But that aside, it's actually still voluntary for the military. Did you know that? I did know that, yes. And so I looked at the numbers and I think this is interesting because CDC says in the general population now, or at least at the end of the, the last month, I believe they said 40% of the population is fully vaccinated. When it comes to the military, guess where the army is? Did you see this figure? Um, The last figure I saw was, I believe it was about 40%. Okay, so here's what what I got from military.com. And again, just yesterday, they got these numbers Mm -hmm. from the Pentagon. So 40% of the population at large, 23% of the military force is fully vaccinated. 23. That's about half. Why is that? Well, the Navy is at 40%, Marine Corps, 27%, Air Force and Space Force, 25%, the Army, 14.5% fully vaccinated, which I think is quite interesting. And they're adding in, by the way, the Guardsmen and Reservists. And I kind of wonder, you always wonder why they're counting the way they do. If they took out the Guardsmen and Reservists, would those numbers potentially be even lower? So I don't know. I just think that's That's, fascinating that when given a choice and the military usually doesn't have a choice with vaccines, they're jacked up with all kinds of things and even experimental vaccines sometimes. But when given the choice, um, it's way below what CDC says is the the number now for the general population. That that is quite interesting because I had seen a... um, an article several months ago that showed it higher and um, but having those numbers straight from the military um, it is interesting um, enough, but um, that that is quite um, astounding. You know, um, the number they publicize and maybe this this is where you got your number. They publicize the higher number of those who have gotten at least one dose. OK, mm. so that's different. And that's a higher number. Right. So some of them have gotten one dose and never got the second. So I'm giving the numbers for fully vaccinated, those who got the RNA vaccine with the two, two doses. And that's a pretty, pretty low number. That is a very low number. number. So um, what would you say about the issue of masks? What did you learn? Or is that out of your area of expertise over the, over the time that we've been talking from the government's position initially mm-hmm. saying don't wear them and mm-hmm. Fauci saying it wasn't necessary to, you know, double mask, triple mask and so on. <laughs> Do you have any thoughts about this as a nurse? Uh, absolutely. Um, the The science is not settled on masks. We have seen um, just at the beginning of the pandemic, um, the uh, the National Institutes of Science put out a, um, they went ahead and they did a, a quick review on the effectiveness of cloth masks. Um, 
and they they really could show no evidence that they, it would be possible to stop the spread of SARS-CoV-2. Uh, they were hopeful, but a lot of it depended on the type of cloth, um, the the, how the person who wears the mask actually puts it on their face. Um, so the, the evidence really wasn't there. They came out with some papers. There were Danish study that contradicted those papers uh, or the other papers. Um, the CDC came out with a study and essentially said that mask wearing was about 0.5% effective, um, but then picked a higher number and ran with it in the media. Um, I do not believe that the evidence is there that supports mask wearing um, as a whole. I have witnessed people's behaviors wearing masks. Um, they're either not wearing them properly. You're going to a restaurant, but you have it on while you walk to sit down and then you take it off and eat. It, it, there's just not any sense in that matter. Um, my other big concern regarding the masks is that if people are using and reusing cloth masks, are they washing them properly? Are they leaving them to sit on dirty surfaces that you're then gonna have those germs transmitted onto a face mask and then you're going to go ahead and stick that face mask on your face for hours on end. Um, what are the health effects of that? We've also heard, um, I've heard from nurses who have made statements that they're seeing bacterial pneumonias from people who have been forced to wear masks at their workplace for hours and hours a day. And what are the health implications um, in regards to that? So I think that um, overall, that the effectiveness of masks, um, the, the research, the, settle, the science is definitely not settled on that. It's a bit like the vaccine passports. It seems to me that if you walk around with a mask on, it shows you're complying with a request mm -hmm. or a mandate, but it doesn't prove that you are protected or protecting others because of, I think, the factors that you mentioned. It's more about, mm -hmm. it seems like a lot of this is about showing you'll follow a rule or complying rather than actual protection. Um, Absolutely. When it comes to mandates in general, I guess COVID-19 brought a lot of things to the forefront. There were people that didn't really get involved in whether vaccines should be mandated in schools and in other places but all of a sudden it touched them. And these are people, some people I know who are not absolutely like you, they're not anti-vaccine, but suddenly they had to decide when it comes to a vaccine that's never been used before. And when it comes to their children, you know, these are personal and difficult decisions because the answers, you know, by all admissions just aren't had yet. We, we don't know enough. We don't have enough information. And I'll tell you my own mother, asked me about the COVID-19 vaccine, you know, early on, should she get it? And I told her I couldn't advise her. And I, I don't advise people. I tell people they should talk to their doctors, do their own reading. And I told her mom, you know, I, I feel like at this point, it's, it's sort of a crapshoot in terms of, we don't know about the vaccine, but mm -hmm. if you got COVID and she's in her eighties and, and she was seriously ill or died, how terrible would that be? So it's a very personal decision. It's, it's not a right or wrong when it seems to me scientifically for people, it's an individual calculation that, and, and a lot of guesswork. Did, did you have people in your life that, 
you know, you thought made the right decision on by getting COVID-19 vaccine? What was sort of the things you, you told people? I, I don't give medical advice. It's not my place to tell people. I tell people that there are risks involved and that they need to really do their research. They need to do their homework. They need to check their individual um, risk um, to decide whether or not the vaccine is appropriate for them based on their own personal health status. Um, I have had um, family members tell me outright that they will not receive the COVID-19 vaccine um, because they have more fear of the vaccine itself, the un unknowns, uh, long-term health effects of it. They feel that they are healthy and they are not in that high risk. Um, my mother has personally stated to me that she will not receive the vaccine and she is nearly 80 years old. Mind you, she's in perfect health and has really no cofactor when underlying cofactors for COVID-19, she knows there's always a risk, um, but she fears the vaccine more than she does um, the illness itself. Um, I have had other family members go ahead and choose to get vaccinated because they are in that high risk population as well. And they felt that it was necessary for them. And again, I support people's rights to decide what they feel is best for them. You know, um, we should mention, again, as you do your reading, even when there are adverse events with vaccines, it's sort of like so many vaccines are given, you often hear, well, it's just a small minority, which is often true. You know, you hear of a serious adverse event. Most people do not die of a vaccine. Even when there is an adverse event, most people will not suffer right. that kind of an adverse event. But the calculation as to what's allowed, it's very complex. They pulled smallpox vaccine off that, that program I mentioned they stopped in the early 2000s. There were really, I think, only a handful of heart impacts and deaths at the time they pulled it because the calculation isn't just a sheer number calculation. It's, well, what is the risk if you get the disease? What is, you know, what is worth taking even a very rare risk for a vaccine versus the risk of the disease itself? It's, it's a very complex calculation. And I looked it up to see, is there a number or is there a threshold where the government says, this vaccine and these number of adverse events are too much. And I couldn't find one, it's sort of a judgment call, something they kind mm -hmm. of feel and examine at their meetings. You listen to these federal vaccine meetings that take place. Can you tell me just kind of how those happen? Are they every month or are they as needed? And what are your observations as you listen in on these meetings in general? So the CDC's Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, or ACIP, um, this is the committee that will um, give recommendations for use on vaccines. They meet, generally they meet three times a year, February, June, and October. However, because of the um, uh, emergency use authorization for the COVID-19 vaccines, they've had emergency meetings that have popped up. Um, quite frequently um, in the past year. Uh, it's almost to the point where they're having them um, on a monthly basis and just to go over either approval processes for the, uh, the COVID-19 vaccines or in the event with the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is when the FDA went ahead and paused use of it, then the CDC had needed to come behind them to go ahead and change their recommendations. And again, when a couple of weeks later, they went ahead and um, lifted the pause on it. My um, biggest concern from 
for monitoring these meetings, which I do um, monitor all the meetings, is the overwhelming um, belief that the risk of, um, of the disease is always greater than the risk of vaccination. And they will turn to the number of cases of COVID deaths to justify the use of um, the vaccine, even though we have seen in the VAERS data um, at this point, been 4,400 um, vaccine adverse events reported that were deaths associated with vaccines. Again, this does not mean that the vaccine caused the death. It just means that a death occurred after vaccination and was reported, um, so, which is an incredibly high number if you look at the overall deaths reported after vaccines um, prior to COVID-19. Um, that number was about 13,000, um, or total cases is 13,000. So now in the past year, we've added, um, it's 4,400 that of those are COVID-19 associated deaths. Um, 13,000 over what time period? So 13,000 was the number I looked yesterday um, total. So if you subtract the 44,000, and that's since the um, these programs started in 1990 um, was when VAERS um, started collecting data. So, so we're talking, um, there have been 13,000 um, reported deaths and that includes the COVID-19 now. So if you take 4,400 4, away from that, do the math, you had approximately nine, 9,000 deaths um, associated with vaccines. And then in the last six months, we've added 4,400. Now, devil's that. advocate, would, um, would medical experts say, well, let's, let's explain real quick. VAERS is the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System. FDA Correct. has one for medicine. This is one for vaccines that if, if anything happens after you get a vaccination, whether you think it was caused by that or not, doctors and patients in some cases are supposed to, you can go online and report this so that they can pick up something they didn't see. If a whole bunch of people report eye problems, for example, the same sort of rare eye problem after a medicine or a vaccine, this could point to, oh, that may be an adverse event we didn't know about. So that's how they pick up these, they do surveillance and pick up these potential adverse events. As you said, it doesn't mean or prove just because something is reported that it was caused by the medicine or the vaccine, but it's certainly something to look at. Now, right. would people say that COVID-19, maybe we're getting an inordinate number of deaths reported after vaccine because it's just so much on our radar. People are reporting everything, you know, and being more diligent and careful. So it's capturing more deaths that may not be related to vaccination. I do believe that um, people are more aware of the reporting systems. However, I still do not believe that we are capturing all of, um, or even a large fraction of it. Um, simply because there are still too many people that are not aware of the adverse events reporting systems. There are many in healthcare who will say that I'm not going to report that because I personally don't believe that it is related to the vaccine. And so when you are relying on people to make a judgment call versus a mandatory reporting or, an, for example, an automated reporting system that would 
automatically um, notify federal you know federal agencies that this person died within a time frame following um, vaccination that would capture much more than what we're capturing right now. I have worked with many healthcare providers and had to inform them that they were required to report adverse events to this reporting system after vaccination. And these are medical professionals that have been nurses um, or even doctors for dozens of years and were not even aware of it. Um, so I do not think that we are even seeing close to what is actually going on right now. And, you know, it's, it's a tough thing to figure out. The government will typically say, well, it's kind of funny. If anybody dies and happened to have COVID-19 in their system, they call it a COVID death or COVID related death, no questions asked. But if someone dies after vaccination, they tend to say, well, that person was sick anyway, which is often true. The people who get vaccines for COVID-19 vaccinated are often sick and elderly and have, have issues. But I think was, was it, um, Sweden or, or Denmark, there was a country that actually said and recognized after studying them that some fragile elderly or just fragile people in general, when they got the COVID-19 vaccine, it put them over the edge. So yes, they were sick to begin with, but they said that these people should not necessarily get vaccinated because something that happens when they're vaccinated challenges them enough that it puts them over the edge and sometimes results in their death. So it's, it's hard to count and calculate um, that fair system is, is worth something because it does count some of them. But again, as you mentioned, the experts told me, they think when an adverse event is reported officially through one of these systems, that the true incidence of the adverse event are anywhere between 10,000 to like 100,000 more. And I looked that up when I was told that, I think it was by a health advocate at Public Citizen years ago, the watchdog group. And it was true because it just sounds so outrageously large but it's believed by scientists that most adverse events are not captured or reported so that when they get one and you say, well, why did they pause the use of a vaccine over six cases of something when there have been millions of people? Well, it's because they know they're not capturing all of those adverse events. So they're, they're basically looking for signals um, right. that there could be something going on. Um, right. And it's estimated right now that um, between, it could be about 1%, one to perhaps 10 being the absolute best that is currently being re reported to theirs. Now there are, um, again, many people have apparently so far taken the COVID-19 vaccine safely and the government says have gotten protection at least in the term that they've been able to measure. So acknowledging that. But I will mention that there are new reports. Um, Israel's Ministry of Health is announcing a team to look into what they now call a probable link between the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine and heart inflammation, particularly in male teens. And this is a question because, again, at the end of all this, they said, but there's no reason not to let your teenager get the shot because this is so rare, even if it's happening. But it's certainly something to think about. And they found that... Um, it's causing some probable myocarditis, which is a heart issue in, in mostly young people. I believe they said, um, let's see, the onset of myocarditis carditis among young men aged 16 to 13 after the second dose of the vaccine, there seems to be a link and that this link was found to be stronger among the younger age group, 
teens between ages 16 and 19 who have gotten this shot, the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine. That's the only one in use in Israel. So that's the only one they know about. But I pointed out that basically now all of the vaccines that we're using in the United States, plus the AstraZeneca vaccine, which is not being used in the United States right now, have been linked to possible heart-related problems, whether, whether it's heart inflammation or blood clots. Um, and this is true of other vaccines as well that have been linked to rare side effects along these lines, but it's certainly something to watch and consider as millions of people get these shots, they can tell more about the possible adverse events that are caused. Um, do you have any advice as we close or thoughts about vaccine mandates for people who are wondering, should they care about them? Let's say there are people listening who have all their vaccines and they're generally getting their children vaccinated and they're really not worried about this. Should they be concerned or should they actually be glad that other people will would have to get vaccines because there are movements pushed by the pharmaceutical industry and by the members of Congress and state legislators who they support financially. There are a lot of movements to make all kinds of mandates, not just for COVID-19 vaccine, but for all kinds of vaccines. Um, you know, could this be a good thing in the eyes of a lot of people? I, I believe it's a dangerous, um, very dangerous when you start mandating pharmaceutical products for a condition to being in a free society. Because again, if your vaccine works and you believe in vaccination, why do you care if someone else is not vaccinated? You should not, you shouldn't have a worry. Um, if you have that strong belief. We, um, we don't know um, the future, um, what next illness is coming out. Um, we have, we've seen stories and we know um, the origins of this particular virus and you've done excellent reporting in regards to the origins um, from lab sources. And if they're working on viruses, gain of function, um, what are we going to see come out in the next couple of years? And what next push could be um, next vaccine product um, that comes out um, that we're potentially going to be required to get in order to enter a store, to buy groceries, um, to get on an airplane, to leave the country, to go visit your family, um, that it's problematic. and. Um, do you want to be living in a society where you need to show your papers and show that you've had a medical procedure, a private medical procedure, in order to be able to um, to be able to function in society? And really, um, how many of you would feel comfortable showing a vaccination card to a teenager at the grocery store in order to enter? I mean, what is that look like um, in society when we can go ahead and ask people personal medical information. Um, so it's 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 scary, and we're heading down that slippery slope, and which is why we need to put laws into place that will stop discrimination against persons who have chosen not to get the COVID nineteen vaccine or other vaccines, whether they're ones in the past or the future ones that we have no idea what's coming down the pipeline. One interesting irony, I don't know if people know, and you can look at my 
investigation on COVID-19 vaccine origins with all the documentation. So you don't have to wonder if it's true at my um, landing page at CherylAckison.com. We don't know factually for sure whether COVID-19 came from our partnership with China on this controversial gain of function research where we funded studies that made bat coronavirus infectious in people when it was not for the purposes of, and here's the irony, developing a vaccine and therapeutics. The notion was we were trying to get ahead of the game as was the pharmaceutical industry and anticipate what bat coronaviruses might jump into the human population by making it happen faster so that we could be ready with therapeutics and a vaccine. But I think the again, the irony is if this was in any part linked to what happened with COVID-19, and again, China's not given us the evidence to tell that with, but if it, if it turns out to be the case that some of this research is somehow linked, the irony that we were trying to make a vaccine and we were using taxpayer money to do it and that it, that it somehow is linked to this would be quite something. But again, we don't know that that's the case yet. Maybe we'll never know since China's not cooperated on, on the information. Right, right. We may never know the origins, but it, it is quite terrifying to think that um, this is going on um, in labs and, and what the real potential for that might be. Well, Judith, thank you for all your information and expertise. You explain everything very clearly, and I appreciate your time. You're, you're very welcome. And thank you for all of the research that you've done. That was Judith Jolly, co-founder of Vaccine Choice Wisconsin, a registered nurse, and she's with the National Vaccine Information Center. You can look up NVIC online for more information. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Check out justthenews.com and don't forget to subscribe to the Cheryl Ackeson podcast, my other podcast, Full Measure After Hours, and all the Just the News podcasts wherever you like to listen. Do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself.